Welcome, aloes, arrows, and fellow monster fuckers to Acatalepsis, the podcast that grows ever more horny, but it's complicated with every episode. And try not to think too much about that fellow first bit. I'm admitting nothing. My name is Sarah. <laughs> and my name is Thomas. And yeah, I'll freely admit it. Um, you anyway. have the server. Half, three quarters, five, <laughs> nine tenths. The whole server. I don't yeah. know. Um, anyways, we're starting arc three this episode, uh, Conditions of Absolute Reality, which is possibly the least true title which could be, <laughs> which could have been applied to this arc, or else it is true, in which case that's very weird. <laughs> um, I guess if you think about it, like, it's, it's, it's less true than it is any other time if you're talking about, like, what absolute reality is, but, like, if you're talking about the conditional nature of it then it is very apt yeah uh, anyways jumping into the summary of 3.1 the reason why we're talking about whether or not this arc has anything to do with reality is because we opened with a dream sequence with lozzy or dream sequence with like three question marks on the end there is a sequence all right yeah lozzy appears to take heather outside and have a chat with her and then when heather demands to come back to reality Lozzie takes her to Mars. Um, Lozzie also appears to think that Heather is like her in some way, but we don't get any clarification about what that means because Heather wakes up and rains home after apparently having teleported them out of the trap into the street and then having been kind of sleepwalking slash catatonic for two days straight. Um, anyways, Heather ends up finding Rain's pistol in her house and has a bit of an anxiety attack about it followed by a sincere talk about Rain's violence. And Heather labels Rain as a psychopath for the first time in the narrative, at least tentatively. 3.2? Yeah. Um, so we basically continue on from that conversation. We have an extended conversation between Heather and Rain on how she has killed before and their history mm -hmm. generally. Heather opens up about not only about only really living in three places before, one of which was a mental hospital. Rain prods her to think of the future, only for Heather to realize that she never really has before this point. Bummer. <laughs> um, Rain introduces Heather to some of the neighbors, who are very queer, before tucking her back into bed. Then they, like, do it. <laughs> Heather has another dream sequence with Lozzie before waking up, seeming to remember nothing. Heather basks in the newfound confidence that being with Rain has given her, only to fall back into old habits when she's being trailed by spirits in the streets. This time, holding Rain's hand doesn't help but telling them off in public for the first time does. Yeah. Um, Character oh, growth. Yeah. A lot of different things happen in these chapters. Uh, you want to dive right in, though? Sure. Yeah. So let me see. Pulling down to the notes. Oh, wait. Right. Something I forgot to mention. So remember how uh, I think like the episode before last, we were talking and theorizing like, and actually last episode too, we were theorizing endlessly about the conditions of the trap that was set up for Evelyn in the metaphysics department. Mm -hmm. A servitor was following Rain at the beginning of the story. That was definitely a Sheriford servitor. It means they were planning the hit before the story started. We are so dumb. It had no it definitely wasn't a reaction to the messenger. No, you're absolutely right. I mean, like, I didn't we, to be fair, didn't we say that, like, there was no way it could have been a reaction to the messenger because of just the logistics involved? Yeah, yeah, well, like, after, yeah, after talking, we talked all about the logistics and everything, but we could have just shortcut all of that. <laughs> well, to be fair, I feel like this is one of those things where, like, once you come at it from that conclusion, then it seems obvious. 
Yeah. But it's it's sort of like the the equivalent of um I I always forget if it's inductive or deductive, but basically like it is better for us to reach this conclusion having assembled all of the facts and analyzing them first in order to reach mm-hmm. a conclusion rather than taking that as a conclusion and then searching for data points. Yeah. Fair enough. I would just mark this as another like, oh no, that to- like to me mm-hmm. this more strikes me as oh, now we can know for sure exactly whose servitor that was. Because right, before yeah. now, I would have said like, oh, maybe there's a chance that this was a um, a servitor from Evelyn who was like maybe slightly outside his bounds. Evelyn accidentally mm-hmm. gave it the wrong command. Yeah, yeah, like fair enough. Um, but so but anyway, you're absolutely yeah. right. So anyways, aside from those more practical concerns, the arc immediately opens up with just the weirdest dream sequence with... Lazy speaking to Heather. Um, so, like, there's this initial appearance of her. Um, and I just kind of wanted to read it out and try to interrogate and see what we're supposed to get from it. Mm-hmm. Because, first of all, Lazy's wearing her goat skull mask, or her too large to really be a goat skull mask. And it says, She sat with her knees drawn up to her chest, head tilted back to gaze up at the sky. So the curled horns of her mask pointed at the ground. No spirits attended her now, not like in that dirty, stagnant Sheriffford car park. She wore the same clothes, a dark striped hoodie with the sleeves pulled over her hands. Her long blonde hair trailed out over the grass. And I can't tell if this is meant to like humanize her or I'm I'm just not quite sure what the framing is meant to be here. Yeah, I mean like Lazi is almost like a giant question mark in my head even now mm-hmm. she does like she reminds me a lot of how the fandom in harry potter has decided to interpret luna lovegood which is mm. to say that like she is someone who is fundamentally aware of either the long-term plot the future mm. or like things that characters are otherwise in denial about but says these things in such an offhand and also cryptic way that no one can understand what she's talking about until after the fact. Mm. That does kind of sync up with like the next little bit of description about her I pulled out, which was where um, she's described as a fae and elfin, like some fairy apparition from a cautionary fireside tale. And then, exactly. and then Heather even says, I learned soon enough I wasn't far off the mark. Yeah. Which she's... made me really concerned when I first read it in the story. <laughs> yeah. I don't, again, I don't know how to place her because like even, I mean, like it's fair to say we get um, a lot more of Lazi in the story and we get her, we get her a lot more humanized than this. But even so, I don't think this impression ever really leaves us. Yeah. And it's also interesting how, um. so there's a part where there's a part where Lozzie, like, comments, like, oh, Heather, like, you're named after a bush. And she apparently just finds this hilarious and, like, flops forward as she laughs and whatnot, right? It what's described as, like, a bone-defying stretch. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting. I pulled it out as a lo- one of the lines which was did the best job at making the whole sequence feel dreamlike. But, like, when I think about it, that's not the atmosphere or anything. That's literally just Lozzie's mannerisms that are making it dreamlike. Mm-hmm. And man, I was really hoping to pull out some more concrete analysis of this uh, sequence by talking about it with you, but I really just can't. <laughs> it's, it defies yeah, Lossie, Lossie it defies analysis. Like um, yeah. I 
Well, I will say I do like how Hungry Lamp shapes this because mm -hmm. before, like, Lazi was painted as this strange, unknowable figure. Like, you know, the mm -hmm. spirits are congregating around her. She has this goat mask that she wears. Mm -hmm. She's with the Sheriff Ford cult. She, like, waved goodbye to the messenger as it left. Mm -hmm. um, and then there's also this long moment where she's just, like, staring up in the sky. Like, something out of a, um, out of a dramatic, angsty teen novel, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then she turned to me. The skull's eye holes showed only darkness. Then she reached up and removed the mask. Yeah. Like, I mean, I can't be the only one who genuinely expected her to never remove the mask. Am I? Oh, no, absolutely. First time I saw her, I thought she'd be in the mask forever, basically. Yeah. Yeah. And then again, like, she, her, the first thing she says is not like some... <sighs> Like I said, the, my example with Luna isn't entirely apt because Lozzie always says what she means and the words she chooses are often very blunt, but that doesn't really, like, it's like she's missing the context. So, like, when mm -hmm. when Heather asks, um, I think it's, she she says, where is this? Who are you? Mm -hmm. And... Lossie just responds, you're in a dream, Dumpo. And mm -hmm. it's like, on one hand, that is answering Heather's question, likely to a degree that she wasn't aware of, right? Like that answers all of those questions. But at the same time, it misses why Heather is asking those questions. Like yeah. knowing, like Lossie answers that as if that explains everything and she like, and she couldn't possibly need to know any further. Whereas mm -hmm. for Heather, that is only the beginning of her uncertainty around this situation. Yeah. That's a good point. Um, it might have something to do with Lawsy thinking that Heather's, quote, like, like her and kind of being disappointed that it seems like she might not be. Mm -hmm. Or, I don't know. Before we leave the dream sequence, though, there's one thing I wanted to bring up, which it took us two arcs and I think like some 20 plus hours discussion to get, get here. But I finally found my first genuine criticism of catalepsis. What's that? Um, catalepsis has a little Not bit enough of... horny? I agree. <laughs> catalepsis has a little bit of a problem with the Disneyfication of beauty. With the what? The Disneyfication? Uh, like Disney. Yeah. Like it, it does the same thing Disney does with beauty. Um, it has a radically different standard of beauty. Um, it catalepsis does not ascribe in any way shape or form to classical beauty standards um but you can immediately tell what a character's relationship to heather is going to be in the story going forward just by seeing whether or not she describes them as attractive and the degree to which she does it's a very consistent thing beautiful people end up being close to heather and well connected to her and less beautiful people don't you can see that like <laughs> The question is how intentional that is, I guess. Yeah. Because like we are seeing this story through the lens of someone who is just more concerned with that kind of thing than most people. Yeah, well, to be honest, I'm not one of those people who tends to put much stock in interrogating like the why of like um That's fair. Yeah, that stuff like there's a like there's a like the halo effect is a real thing. If, if mm -hmm. you see positive traits in one person, you're more likely to see other positive traits in them. And it's a very real way that 
media can bias us to think positively of certain characters mm -hmm. um portray them as beautiful and attractive and desirable and will forgive a lot or look out for uh their good traits to notice them right right um but ultimately it does tend to contribute to like it does tend to contribute to the overvaluing of beauty i find um and tying it to specifically tying it to moral character um and i think when a story does it in a way where it does it's not reinforcing classical beauty standards it dodges a fair chunk of that but not all of it and yeah that's it. It, it i guess in a way the goalposts just change yeah i mean there is something to be said of like oh if you have like a dozen different goalposts from like a dozen different um cultural narratives it doesn't have the same impact as like one monolithic beauty standard everyone is expected to like ascribe to mm -hmm. but the simple reality is not everybody's always going to it's not just that not everybody's going to be beautiful in any one given beauty standard not everyone's necessarily going to be beautiful in any one of a number of beauty standards you can label and it it creates a little bit of a shitty effect for folk there is there is one example i can think of that i think mm -hmm. catalyst somewhat interrogates that idea mm -hmm. but to talk about it would well, be spoiler we'll get we'll get to it when we get to it i just wanted to bring it up now because like i first noticed it here with lozzy which was where like because i was really like looking into detail about like okay how is like how is lozzy being described right mm -hmm. and i noticed huh she's described as like rather attractive here at least from heather's perspective and then I immediately went back and I started digging through like every other character interaction I could see. And I was mm -hmm. like, and then like digging through some of the features and I was like, shit, <laughs> this is yeah. a thing. You can immediately forecast exactly how close a character is going to be to Heather emotionally based like in the future, based on whether or not Heather finds her attractive. It is a very clear cut uh, correlation. To, to be fair, at the very least, it's not quite so disnified in the way that it's like, it is not just purely romantic attachments. It is just like personal attachments generally. That's actually why I would say it is very Disney. Um, mm, I see what you mean. Yeah. Um, like like I said, if, if it was a pure romantic story and like every single character that the main character finds attractive, like they fall in love with, right? I would just call that a trope of like, the romance genre right like just being horny on main but sure yeah just like hey you like these people and you find them personally yeah. attractive and that contributes to why you're like gonna get end up in a relationship with them yeah uh right but specifically when attractiveness becomes a shorthand for someone's moral character and like emotional connection like to the extent that the audience is expected to care for them that's mm -hmm. That, that's the one I can, criticism I had. <laughs> I can see that. Yeah. Um, I would say that, like, Lazi is probably the first example. Like, um, uh, to, to Lazi, be honest, yeah. I, I was just going to say, to be honest, we've already been, like, talking about this and putting more emphasis on it than, like, I really intended to. It's not like. Uh, it's not like an end of the world criticism or anything. Yeah, it's no, just, no, no. I didn't. Yeah. I didn't take it as such. I was more using that as an example to in to interrogate the general oh, yeah. trope myself. Oh yeah, sure, sure. Um, yeah, I think Lazi is the first example of this where, like, for lack of a better word, Heather's feelings towards this character are pretty much going to, like, th there's close to no world in which her feelings could have been anything other than friendship. 
Whereas the other yeah. characters so far, I think there there is a time and place for each of them in which Heather would have been with them. Yeah. Miles well, does seem fairly young, yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I was thinking of something, but yes, yeah. that too. Anyways, you want to move on? Sure. Um, speaking of how we move on, by the way, there's this description of uh, the shift from uh, the other verse to uh, Mars, which is reality blinked in slow motion. And fuck, I love that description. Um, well, we're also talking about descriptions. Um, mm -hmm. I wanted to mention earlier um, just this sentence memory moved at the speed of cold honey. Just <laughs> what delightful imagery. Yeah. Ah, that's good. I love it when uh, Lovecraftian stuff uses, um, or fantasy stuff in general, when it uses uh, synesthetic imagery uh, mm -hmm. for that stuff. But particularly, like, there are a lot of descriptions that relate something to warm honey, but, like, mm -hmm. it, like the fact that it's cold honey makes you actually consider how slow that would be. And you're yeah. like, oh, okay. It's not, like, because it's, mm -hmm. it's easy enough to think, like, you know, slow is molasses or, you mm -hmm. know, slow is syrup or whatever. But this makes you actively think back and be like, oh, no, I can picture that now. Yeah. Anyways. Um, anyways, I did really like the detail of um, coming back to reality, but landing on Mars instead of Earth. <laughs> I just thought that was a really neat detail. It, it answers some a little something I was thinking of, which was like, how geocentric is this barriers between reality thing, right? Mm -hmm. The answer appears to be, not fucking very <laughs> yeah um and i think it also just contributes to like catalepsis does have a little bit of a hard science fiction to it right it's moments like this which i think contribute to that um the kind of stuff which really makes you stop and think about the mechanics of the magic at play and think about it in a larger context of the existing physical mechanics we understand for our reality mm-hmm that's um, a very good point. Yeah. Um, what was next? Oh, yeah. And then um, when Heather wakes up, there's these interesting lines where it says, my heartbeat thudded in my chest. A pulse ran through living veins. Skin flexed. Breath flowed. But I just find that a fascinating way of describing waking up because it implies that that stuff wasn't happening earlier in the dream. Her heart wasn't beating. She wasn't breathing. Mm -hmm. She didn't have a pulse or skin for that matter, right? Which also brings up the question of, again, how fucking real was any of that? That's really interesting because, like, I read it totally differently. Yeah. Like, I, I like your reading as well and I agree with it. But the uh. way I saw that is, like, she was feeling herself in so much as anyone does mm -hmm. while they're dreaming, right? But mm -hmm. then suddenly she became aware of her physical body simultaneously, like it was overlaid on top of herself. Ah, interesting. And I like that either, like, the ambiguity there, like, either reading mm -hmm. is different yet still viable. Honestly, they, I feel like they have a lot of overlap. They're essentially the same mm -hmm. concept. Um, yeah. Um, oh, yeah, so from there, we get a description of Rain's room. So, like, some insight into Rain, which mostly seems to confirm the stuff we've already seen before. She's into philosophy books. Um, uh She's into some bands, has some uh, questionable pinups of video game girls, and of course a huge map of the UK studded with thumbtacks and town circled and highlighter, because... 
I love that Heather goes specifically out of the, her way to be like the pinups were nice except for the gigantic boobs. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's very Heather. It is interesting though. Um, I think when you spend enough time online, um, it can be difficult to remember how a lot of conventions in that world are seen from the outside, and Heather does provide a very refreshing view into that sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um. Uh, so yeah, I think that's about that. Did you have any uh, anything when we were like first brought into Rain's Room you wanted to discuss before moving on? No. Um, mm-hmm. I did put a note that it's mm-hmm. interesting that um, I think th- there was a moment where she specifically notes that mm-hmm. Rain basically says, oh, the, the room is warded, but the rest mm-hmm. of the house is free range. Right. Um, but then Heather notes later that the spirits are even staying away from the house itself, not just the ward which is interesting. I mean, it could be because of Heather's presence, but it also could just be something along the lines of like, um, uh, let's say there was like a cafe somewhere and one of the tables had like fucking electrical fence set up around it. You might just not go by that cafe, like that cafe period. Yeah, I was going to say like, it's, I'm, I struggle to know exactly how literal and seriously I should take the pneumosomatic fauna in mm-hmm. the sense that like, it seems all of the examples that I have are from other franchises, but mm. suffice to say that like, it seems like it's more a peek into a reality existing alongside our own rather than a, a glimpse into something that is happening next to us. If that makes sense. Mm. I think it's what you mean. When you say next to us, you mean like something that could affect us or is connected to us. Exactly. Yeah, Exactly. It's almost like you're you're viewing an alternative what if scenario at the same time as you're seeing what's actually happening. Hmm. And I so it's difficult that. to tell like how much of that is like, oh, I'm seeing this, so that indicates this in the quote unquote real world, mm-hmm. and how much of it is just like, oh no, I'm seeing this. What does it mean? Who knows? Yeah, there's definitely a little bit of that. Um so anyways, uh when Heather talks to Rain, um she finds out that she's been kind of catatonic for like two days, but also like sleepwalking. Like, we'll get up, eat, go to the restroom, do basic stuff, but like lights are on, but nobody's home. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is revealed to us by like this freaky fucking line where um, uh, like Rain's checking over Heather's cognition and she's like, I'm fine, I'm fine, right? She's like, yeah, of course, but I have to make sure you're actually back this time. Yeah. I was like, oh, Fuck. Yeah, so I, I have notes on this later, but like uh, when it says like, oh, the lights were on, but no one was home. I think that's quite literal. I do yeah. not think that was Heather. Yeah. Well, it seems like some kind of like lower automatic processes were functioning. So she was just No, no. I, I, I literally mean like. Uh, possession. I think, I think it is not. I think it is entirely possible that while Heather was dreaming about Lazi this entire time, Lazi stuck something in Heather's body to pilot it in the intern because it knew to say like no hospital hmm let me check that over again real quick Um, i don't think that heather would have like even thought about that really hmm. in fact heather is probably the type to say like like maybe not take me to a hospital but like i don't think she would have the social experience or cognition to to realize in that moment hey it would be pretty difficult for rain to explain why i'm covered in blood she just doesn't have that experience. 
Interesting. I guess we'll have to keep I an eye out. I don't think that was Heather at all. Yeah, I guess we'll have to keep an eye out for clues about that going forward. Yikes. Um, yeah. Although I suppose also she did bring Heather back to a warded room, which I suppose limits some of the possible options. But then again, so we've, we've already seen even, that word. If you want to get even darker, um, a ward would only prevent something from getting in that wasn't inside of Heather already. Uh, so from what we see of Evelyn's servitors, that definitely seems like it might not be the case. Um, like they flagged on Heather, registering something as weird about her. Um, but I would, I would also just the what I was about to think was like we also saw the messenger just blowing straight past whatever wards might be on the metaphysics building. Like, mm-hmm. clearly, whatever they've got is not comprehensive. <laughs> yeah. Um, but and we, we <laughs> like I I won't go into spoilers, but I I will simply say that we have definitely seen scenarios before now and since where quite clearly the fractal was not enough to stop whatever it was that was accosting Heather from doing what it wanted to do. Yeah. Um, let's see. Speaking of uh, doing stuff in the face of total uncertainty about whether or not your defenses will function, though, um, I, there's a point just where Rain says to Heather, like, that was the bravest thing I've ever seen anyone do, including myself. Um, and I just like that. Like, this is the kind of thing which really does need to be reinforced for Heather. She's never going to start feeling brave unless her bravery is called out to her face. And it's sweet. And I, I like the fact that Rain is doing that. And then like that that's kind of part of her white knightery complex. Like this sequence honestly is, I think, as good as anything for demonstrating that whatever Rain's got going on in terms of like a bit of a white knight protective complex isn't toxic. She's very domestic with Heather here, and her support seems to be more oriented around supporting Heather and being strong rather than being strong for Heather. Yeah. Um, I So I swear this, like, this tangent will lead somewhere mm-hmm. if you give me a minute. Um, when I first came out I, as trans, I remember a lot of people, mm-hmm. a lot of family members, and you know, people who were genuinely trying to do well Mm-hmm. say that I was brave and it mm. always irked me but I wasn't sure why until basically I I I read some early um some trans works early on in my career not career mm-hmm. life and I'm misremembering it now but the 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 core of it stuck with me mm-hmm. that basically they said I wouldn't call it bravery I don't recall being given a choice yeah, I remember and seeing that. I think I I still like that quote because on some, on one hand mm-hmm. it is true I think of you know the 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 struggle mm-hmm. that that was speaking to, but on the other hand here that is I think what Heather would say and she is right and wrong in that respect and mm-hmm. that she's she's correct that a lot of the a lot of the moments where she shows her bravery is in places where she would argue, and I think probably correctly, that she just really didn't have a choice in the matter. She didn't even Mm. have time to think, she just reacted. And that Mm. that isn't bravery. To which I would respond, yes, that is not what the media depicts as bravery. It is not what we imagine it to be. Mm. But I would argue that's what bravery actually is. Hmm, I can see that. 
also, it's in just, doing the thing even if you aren't given any other option. Yeah. Also, I just wanted to say, you unconsciously calling it your career as a trans person, I think, is probably the, big, is the biggest validation of that statement that it possibly could be. The idea that, like, simply having to, like, exist as yourself becomes a fucking career. Yeah. You said something, but the mic did not pick it up. <laughs> I said, I'm tired, Thomas. Yeah, yeah, we all are. Um, well, speaking of being syst uh, systemically tired on a cultural level, uh, systemically. Uh, I hate puns. Um. <laughs> anyways, um, there's actually two books on um, Rain's desk, uh, specific that are named uh, called out by name: "The Conquest of Bread" and "Critique of Pure Reason" by Immanuel Kant. Um. You're a lit major. Did you want to talk about these books at all? Because I have known some of them. It has been so, so long since I covered philosophy. And <laughs> most of it was while, like, mm -hmm. I was discovering queer lit. And it was all it was just like a massive blend of PhD theories and stuff <laughs> in my head. Um, Fair enough. Um, yeah. Anyways, uh, yeah. Critique of Pure Reason, for those who don't know, is basically like a philosophy 101 textbook. It's one of those things where there's plenty of criticisms and critique around it flying around, but those criticisms and critique are, even if you don't agree with the book, the criticisms and critique are so fundamentally embedded in the field of philosophy that you gotta read it if you want to be a philosophy major. But knowing the basics of it, uh, and having discussed it quite a bit with some dual philosophy physics majors, uh, who are in my undergrad program. My uh, sympathies. Yeah. Yeah, that's the best way to describe those conversations. <laughs> um, but yeah, anyways, it it's a reemphasis that Rain is a philosophy major and that there's quite a bit going on on Printer Ed. It is a very dense book and it is very difficult to parse. Um, the fact that Rain does so is impressive. You know, um, it's kind of surprising to me that like, I guess that Rain is a philosophy major. Not because, like, I think she couldn't get it. Like you said, like, she's yeah. brilliant. Um, it's more... Um, philosophy deals with a lot of abstracts and thought experiments in a way that tries to derive some sort of meaning and systemic set of rules for mm -hmm. human behavior based on people who have not been in these scenarios. Um, and rain for a lot of it has been she has been there see here's the thing i was took an entirely different perspective on why rain is studying philosophy mm -hmm. um my uh grandmother uh, my grandfather on my uh, mother's side uh he got into college at age uh 16 um pre-med uh blitzed through med school and became a heart surgeon at a ridiculously young age um and i don't think he ever liked that fact um he always liked studying history later in life and he would consistently prod me like when i was in school like hey make sure you take like electives and other stuff you're interested in right and well okay to be honest my grandfather is one of the um how to put this gently or not uh he doesn't understand people at all and he has no idea how to talk to people and uh, is completely unable of understanding other people's internal social lives. <laughs> if my mom is listening to this, I'm sorry, but it's true. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, 
anyways no matter how many times i tried to tell him like hey i actually really do love history but i study it like on my own time outside of class right because i make space and time for it he didn't listen and when i would try to talk to him about history he was mostly just considered about the lines on the map and the dates and less about what are the socio-political and economic implications of the invention of the spinning wheel <laughs> right mm -hmm. um anyways that personal stuff aside he did genuinely regret i think for his entire life not having made time for the other stuff in his life while he could he focused he tunnel focused on his job to the death of the rest of his life basically um for a large chunk of it capitalism <coughs> yeah yeah um i uh, actually in this one i would say um uh Immigrant drive to give your children a better life being manifested through ah. from his parents. Yeah. Yes. Um, but uh, Rain strikes me as someone who is aware of this. I think she could take a degree which would serve her well in her business as being Evelyn's bodyguard for the rest of their lives. She could, I don't know, there's plenty of fucking degrees she could get, right? Mm -hmm. um, but she chose philosophy. The one thing which will allow her to engage with her world in a deeper way and also just seems to be something she is interested in. She's specifically taking, like, she's doing all this stuff outside of college. She's bodyguarding, she's working out, she's training. She has to be training fucking constantly for the skills she has, right? Yeah. College seems to be four years she is taking for herself. No job at the end of it, no nothing, just, yeah. I think that's very interesting about her character. Yeah, I guess I guess I can see that. I guess I was more thinking like, what must Rain be thinking when mm -hmm. the, she's in philosophy one hundred and one in freshman year, and they're mm -hmm. and they're talking about the trolley problem when mm -hmm. Rain has has been there, has been in in like the alley where someone is pointing a gun at her, and she has yeah. found that the answer is that you shoot them first, and she found that out by pulling the trigger. Yeah. So I'm just like, I don't, I just wonder what that must do to you, to the, the distance you feel from your, from your classmates, not just because of who you like mm -hmm. are on a fundamental level because of the sociopathy, but just because of the, the lived experience that you have. Yeah. Well, to be honest, from what we've seen of her, um, she seems to kind of take it in stride to some effect, uh, to some like degree, like she doesn't seem to criticize the rest of the world for not getting her experiences certainly mm -hmm. but as for how she works with it i would point at the copies of the books on her desk and how thoroughly note like uh tagged with notes they dog eared are. they are yeah yeah oh and, and, and not just dog-eared but like each both of the books are described as having like a ton of like little uh sticky notes like protruding mm -hmm. from like every uh corner of them right yeah um I'd say she takes these um, hypotheticals, which she's personally experienced, and she interrogates the fuck out of the hypothetical. I was about to say, maybe it's actually, maybe we're approaching this wrong. Maybe it's mm -hmm. not about, like, what she's done at all. Because, again, she knows what her decision mm -hmm. is in these cases. Um, mm -hmm. It's more like she's trying to construct maybe a... Um, some sort of a system or a model for how might someone else react to this. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, shoot. 
that's a really good i should have been the one to think of that i spent years <laughs> doing that <laughs> oh lord uh anyways um the the second book uh, that was listed by name was the conquest of bread which just for background um have you heard of that book before no i don't think so it's kind of like one of the big name books in like anarcho-communist thought um if you've ever heard the term bread tube being applied to um you did wonder where that came from yeah being applied to like left-wing uh the like the left-wing youtube crowd um bread tube is a reference to the conquest of bread uh it's a book essentially just it depicts what the author perceives to be the ideal anarcho-communist like ideal basically it is one of those books which rather than dealing in a lot of data and analysis and policy propositions provides an ideal of hey this is a world which can exist and it presents a picture of something the people in its movement are striving to create i was about to say it's almost less like an argument for um Mm -hmm. it's it's less an argument in terms of policy Mm -hmm. and more just like a more saying like here is an image of what could be yeah and it does argue some stuff very strongly like the um uh heck oh oh, uh, one big uh topic in modern discourse um about capitalism is the idea that hey people actually do seem to want to work like not just for money but like people seem to want to find things to do with their lives in their hands right um Mm -hmm. and it does take that to a degree of like hey people want to do this stuff we don't need capitalism to make people do stuff and it argues that very stridently but anyways i'm getting off topic here the point is i'm bringing up it means rain is definitely an anarcho-communist <laughs> i mean we knew this already but sure <laughs> we did yeah um maybe i mean per- literally mm-hmm. the, like, like there's a good mm-hmm. portion of the next chapter that just literally says be gay do crimes yeah um before we go on though may i have one last tangent about that book sure um i always feel very sad when seeing the title of that book the conquest of bread because if you were to tell me someone had written a book about anarcho-communism called the conquest of bread i would assume they were writing a tragedy because the closest historical model of self-governance that like i think you could say we are readily aware of that is like closest to anarcho-communism is pre-subsistence farming civilization we obviously don't have a very good idea of what most of the civilizations look well, like i see where this is going yeah and so the thing is there's you might think that farming spread by people picking up and adopting the technology from their neighbors um but the archaeological evidence and genetic evidence seems to paint a very different picture where certain groups of people picked up farming and then they pushed their neighbors out. Um, farming enabled much higher concentrations of power and much more job specialization. And it created centralized forms of food control, which enabled much stronger coercive labor, uh, especially coercive military labor. And the fascinating thing is that cultures which made the shift over to subsistence farming actually seem to have had much worse health um like uh bone density degrades uh height drops in uh, skeleton records 
Um, you get higher incidence of uh, disease uh, marking the skeletons we've been able to find. Um, farming does not actually appear to have made food security better. It appears to have made it worse. But it also enabled you to, it also enabled whoever like power flowed up to from that system to spread the system. Mm -hmm. um, and it was the death of the closest thing you might be able to say humans have historically had to anarcho-communism. <laughs> the conquest of bread killed it dead. Um, and anyways, that's just my little story about that book. I always feel really sad when I see that title because I'm like, oh man, there is another book hiding behind that title and it's a much darker one than this is. <laughs> yeah, it's... Oh. We don't have time for that podcast. Yeah. <laughs> um. Anyways, breezing past other stuff. Uh, I think there's a part where uh, Heather finds Rain's gun in the sock drawer, which I just, I thought it was a very interesting blend of domestic and violent, which repeatedly comes up in this story. Yeah. At this at this point, I think we almost might add, want to add this as like another discussion question. Has this chapter blended the domestic and the violent yet? <laughs> In this chapter, I feel like in that moment, yeah. Oh yeah. Because well, oh yeah. Well, sorry. I mean, like in any given future chapters, like, hey, has this chapter oh, blended the I domestic and the violent? Yeah, yeah. 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 I would almost say, like, not just that, but also like the 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 mundane and the supernatural, both, or maybe the mundane and the extraordinary. And yeah. by that, I both mean the supernatural and the extraordinarily violent. Yeah. Yeah. Because like when when Rain says like oh yeah I forgot that I forgot where that was and Heather's like you forgot mm -hmm. yeah oh and it's also interesting there's also some very like mundane stuff when Rain's talking about like the aftermath of the violence um like she tells Heather like oh yeah like that like creepy ass alien dog thing which bit me right mm -hmm. I just went to the hospital told them I'd been bitten by a strange dog they cleaned it out gave me a shot some antibiotics. It's just like, that's so mundane. <laughs> that's such a fucking mundane way of handling being bitten by an alien dog with these giant poison stingers on, like, its tail. <laughs> Sorry, I was just um, mm -hmm. crying over the over the fact that she felt comfortable just going into a hospital and getting checked out, and it was fine, and she didn't have, like, a $10,000 medical bill. Yeah. Oh, God, the fucking United States. Ah. Uh... I know multiple people who have been bitten by dogs and did not go to the hospital for it because they could not afford it. Um, uh, yeah. Um, which is not to say that the UK health system is anything approaching perfect <laughs> or even good in some areas, but anyways, that we don't have time for that podcast either. <laughs> it's been actively degrading, but I believe most of the most serious degradation came after the story started, right? What? I'm pretty sure the anti-trans stuff has been in there for like as long as the NHS has existed. Oh yeah, no, I was talking. About, I wasn't talking about anti-trans anti stuff because like we're talking about Rain just like getting a dog bite treated. I was talking yeah. about just general standards of care. Oh okay. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Anyways, speaking about the, like blending of mundane and the violent too, there's just there's this description of Rain. Um, she was beautiful, muscle in motion like poetry. I clutched memories to me of her swinging that length of metal pipe her flushed face, grinning and loving every second of it. She gave me a terrible case of the shivers, and not in a bad way. God help me, Rain was irresistible. 
I felt it in my chest, in my gut, and, forgive my crudity, in my crotch. <laughs> and it's just... The most Heather sentence that has been uttered thus far. Oh, absolutely, yeah. But it's just a messy description. It's beauty and grace and violence and fluidity, and it gets broken up by rudeness, right? Mm-hmm. It's quintessentially how Heather interprets Rain as this messy blend of the domestic and the violent. Even like, I don't want to discount the word choice that she is using here because even, even the cadence of it, mm. haha, um, flows like, like is very deliberate. So, like on one hand, like on one hand, you have all these these sibilant sounds, like she was beautiful, muscle, motion, poetry, mm-hmm. and then you have these rough things like clutched, swinging, metal, mm. pipe flushed mm. and like in the in the and like in the last sentence it really exempl- exemplifies that i felt that in my chest in my gut and forgive my crudity in my crotch mm. not like she could have used my my nethers my folds my heat like any any like assonant yeah. euphemism that she wanted to she mm-hmm. used that word instead yeah i think that's important yeah it is um also, there's this part, this is, I think, part of the story where I really started to take the prospect of Rain being a psychopath and how the story might deal with it seriously, or sociopath, but I suppose... I was about to say psychopath or sociopath, because yeah, the, Heather's the sto- a bit confused. Yeah, so the story's far, but... using the term psychopath here. Um, for those who are confused uh, as well, you should be. It's fucking confusing. The history of the terminology is a fucking nightmare. Um sociopathy tends to be the catch-all i've found in the what research is worth taking seriously um anyways um there's this part where heather brings straight up with rain like you killed those people and like they had parents families friends they were people and now they're not and heather doesn't know enough how to feel about that and rain just takes it seriously right like yeah she doesn't deny the fact that she did it or that she thought it was worth it and that she would definitely do it again but she just i remember being really startled that wow catalepsis is actually bringing this up and dwelling on it at the same like they're dwelling on the importance of death and how much it matters at the same time as a sociopathic character and holy fuck (laughs) yeah even when like when rain tries to dodge the question it's clear that it's like out of respect to heather more Mm -hmm. than it is like her like What's it called? Um, when she mm-hmm. says, when Heather asked her, would you kill Twill? Rain grimaced and shrugged. I don't think I could. I mean, I could mm-hmm. have a silver bullet made, but honestly, I ain't sure e- I ain't sure even that would put her down. In principle, would you? If she was going mm-hmm. to hurt you or Evie, absolutely. No question. Mm-hmm. And so just I like that it's we're clearly seeing this yeah. divide between what Rain is willing to do. Mm-hmm. And the reasons that would make her actually act on it. I was also actually going to follow through on that uh, line, if you don't mind. Yeah, go for um, it. Immediately after that, Rain says, but it turns out she's not, as in, like, a threat. I was wrong about her. And hey, I wouldn't have just bumped her off without being sure. I'm not a cold-blooded murderer. And this is the part at which it made me think, shit. It might only be possible to write this kind of character outside of a U.S.-centric context. Um, like, you might need to write 
her in the UK or somewhere else, which has very different cultural ideologies about lethal force. Yeah. Um, because for those people who don't live in America or have maybe lived in like deep in the city for most of their lives, um, I've known people who have bragged about having shot at people uh, in one case successfully, although I don't think the person in the case died, at somebody who was trying to rob their house um, or was just presumed to be doing so, like was on their lawn or something like that. Like to to be even more direct, the only reason why Rain's actions here would not be celebrated and given plaudits by the Republican Party is because she was queer while doing them. See, actually, I wasn't even going to bring party into that. I have known plenty of people who are progressive in the United States who are fully in favor of straight up being able to murder someone who shows the slightest amount of threat in your direction or towards your property. Um, it is just a fundamentally very different culture around the validity of lethal force. Um, and to some extent, I think there is, I think there is an extent to which that culture prevents people from discussing the emotional consequences of having inflicted that kind of violence on someone else for a reason which ultimately was not worth the death penalty, right? Yeah. Um, that's because and... that's always what it comes down to in the end. In that, in the U.S., again, for those who aren't mm. really experienced, like there is this implication of like, oh you are trying to do wrong to me, therefore I can shoot you. And yeah. the question is always like, oh, well, were they committing a crime? In which case, mm -hmm. hey, then like, you're good, right? Yeah. Whereas the discussion that we should probably be having is like, yes, but did they deserve to die for doing that? Probably yeah. not. Yeah, you will find it very hard to convince some people of that in the United States. Um, yeah. But it made, it made me think because... Um, when I was first reading this story, um, uh, I think when I first started reading this story, I was considering what writing project I wanted to do next, and one of them did involve a sociopathic character. The Fallout uh, one. Yeah, the Fallout one. Um, that one actually has keep, uh, kept evolving in my head as I've kept in the back of my head. It's not quite a Fallout story anymore. Not sure what it oh is. Oh my god. No, we're not getting into yeah, this conversation again. But anyways, at the time the story was centered in the United States, and this section made me really start thinking about is this actually a story which is possible to tell in the United States? Because the audience and the cultural expectations that are going to be assigned to this character do not allow room for a non-sociopath to really dwell on whether or not like exactly what warrants lethal force i'm not going to be able to do with a sociopath this is something that you need like a different cultural context for it's a really good point you know it's yeah. funny when you read this line because i actually fixated on something totally different yeah, yeah when rain says hey i wouldn't have just bumped her off without being sure i'm not a cold-blooded murderer my reaction was kind of like no but you are a hot-blooded one <laughs> and and i don't mean that in like just a pun way i yeah, meant yeah. it as like i think that is lampshading a fundamental truth about rain is that like she's she's admitting to like 
so like rain mm -hmm. continues to mask to Heather for a good portion of the story. And I think right here, we are seeing a little bit of a crack in that mm -hmm. where rain is kind of unintentionally admitting mm -hmm. that to, to Heather that she cannot kill without, while being uninvested. It's not a thing she's capable of doing. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. There's also a part here where, um, uh, rain says uh, to Heather, like, do I scare you? Um, and Heather says, like, she looked up and expected a touch of swagger on her face, but instead found straight-laced sincerity. And fuck, I related to that really hard, right? Because, like, yeah, I mean, look, I'm going to be honest. I've been in the perspective before of, like, there's, we romanticize darkness and violence sometimes, right? Um, and there's an extent to which, like, I've been in the perspective of like i would like it like there's a person i'm crushing on i hope they can see this part of me and find it attractive right mm -hmm. uh, and i hope like i can swagger about it a little bit even if i'm not gonna hurt anyone or anything right yeah but then the moment came to really talk about it and what i found instead was just a very sincere concern about do i scare you because i don't want to um and I really related to Rain when I saw that here. Yeah, it's it's not exactly the same um, mm -hmm. for me, but there definitely have been moments where I'm like, I really hope that you can find it within yourself to either find this part of me attractive or at least not actively repulsive. Because no matter what my feelings are on the matter, I don't really have much in a say in it being there. Yeah, yeah. Hey, the overlaps of human experience. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways. Yeah. Uh, to wrap up the chapter, um, there's a part where um, it's the last line. Uh, not for the first time, I wondered if Rain was a, a psychopath. And for all that she says, it's not for the first time. This is the first time we've seen it in the text, at least that word. Um, and I guess I just wanted to keep track of it. I wanted to make a note of this is where Heather's at currently in want to see what she thinks about it further no that's a really good point mm -hmm. um i'd also like to bring our attention to the second comment on this chapter which simply reads so far i don't think any character has yet eaten a vegetable <laughs> what i just i i read that and i was like you know and and hungry replied by saying i think it may have happened off screen and i think that really just says it all <laughs> No context, no this. no further analysis. Just I I just wanted everyone else to to read that metaphorically. Oh my god! See, I had this comment I was going to bring up for the second chapter later. Um, it was one I wrote like way back when, and I was looking back on it, and I'd said, um, I'm pretty sure I'd seen every like each individual element of this story somewhere else before, but the whole feels so fresh and new, like I've never read a story quite like it before. I really love it. And see, that's heartwarming and wholesome and says something about the story as a whole and feels like a meaningful comment to call out because it was what I wrote when I first said it. And it feels relevant, unlike the vegetable eating off screen. <laughs> Listen, it's really important that Heather eats her veggies if she wants to grow tall and strong like her girlfriend. <sighs> Good lord. All right, move on to your chapter. Give us 3.2. <laughs> okay, 3.2. Um, 
So I wanted to start by pointing out um, the first line as I usually do, but more specifically because mm -hmm. it's doing that thing that you love again, mm -hmm. where it's messing with time and perspective. Mm -hmm. um, we start out by saying rain had already decided I wasn't going home that day. Mm. And I just like that we're sort of, we're drawn into this, like, oh, this, this nebulous place, um, which again is also actually kind of mirroring um, the opening to the first chapter more in terms of tone than in structure where suddenly we're not exactly sure what time and place we are relative to the ending of the, of, of what just occurred. Mm. Interesting. So, yeah, I like that. Um, so on a more serious note, I wanted to really point out this part of this longer conversation that um, Rain and Heather have on exactly how many people Rain has killed. Yeah. Um, so let me find it. Do you have a body count? Rain stopped mid-bite, lowered her own food, and spoke very softly. You sure you want to know? Yes, I think. If you and I are going to be together, I can't pretend not to see the real you. Good point. Fair enough. Well, not counting the two I may or may not have put down inside the loop? For now. Okay. She nodded for a long moment, sober and calm. Three and a half. Three and relief and horror fought in my chest. Rain had only killed three people. Also. Rain had killed three people. The one that Evie and I did together. Shared responsibility. Not my place to talk about that. So just, I love the sheer shifting in tones here. So like we start off serious with, with Rain saying like, do you really want to know? And Heather's like, yes, I want to see all of you if, if we're going to be together. Which again, lampshading. We like that. Um, and then Rain is like, well, not counting the like, Three, I basically, I maybe already did clear, like attempting a little bit, not necessarily humor, but like a little bit of like, le maybe light levity, I guess, in the subject matter. And yeah. then, and then they go back to serious, like three and a half. And Heather is like horror. And then back to foot fixating on like, how do you kill half a person? Because that is obviously the thing that like, you know, one of these three things is not like the others kind of thing. And we mm -hmm. expect it to be like a, a laughter thing. Like, you know, um, oh, I, what have you used to kill people with? A handgun, a knife, and a spoon. Yeah. You know, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Only for Rain immediately to go back and said, that's what Evie and I did together. Shared responsibility, not my place. And it's like yeah, just immediately right. back into like, oh, no, that is, that is very clearly like a different half to the other three people. And that is, she was being a hundred percent serious. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good point. Um, you know, it's also, you brought out in the previous chapter, Rain did try to deflect with a bit of humor when Heather first tried to get into this. Like she was mm -hmm. commenting on like, yeah, I don't think I could kill Twill if I wanted to. Right. Yeah. But she's not doing that anymore. She, Heather has kept asking and Rain seems to be responding here. Also, yeah. um, because I'm a nerd and I need to point it out, more respecting of boundaries. Yay. Also, you mind if I bring up some uh, history of my own, which just I had complicated feelings reading this exact passage? Go for it. Specifically, it was the part where Heather said, I can't pretend not to see the real you. Um, compressing years and years and years of complex internal philosophical debate and growth and complexity as a human being down into like a few sentences. Uh, when I was in like in high school, I ended up developing a moral philosophy, which basically summed up to 
I think I am going to be permanently less happy by making the choice to never indulge any of my violent impulses on another human or animal for that matter. Um, uh, like, I think I am going to be less happy for the rest of my life because of it, but it is worth it and I'm going to commit to it and I'm going to do everything needed to make that happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there was a point where uh, my first partner and I, um, I was lying in, uh, like, head in her lap, and I realized how happy I was in the moment, and that it was because I felt emotionally open and vulnerable with her. Uh, she knew that aspect of me, um, and was not in the least bit worried or scared to have my head lying in her lap, right? Mm-hmm. And it was fucking fantastic. Uh, not as emotionally intense in the moment as any of the emotions associated with violence are, but in aggregate, in total, that emotion filling up your entire life rather than the peaks and moments of violence was better. Uh, and it was the first moment I realized that by making the choice to not hurt people, I might have actually been making my life better rather than worse. The peaks um, may not be as high, but the latter is something you can live in. Yeah. Um, but it made, it made me have really complicated feelings about this sentence. Because on the one hand, this is everything I had and wanted and that was so emotionally impactful for me. Like that moment redefined a lot of my life thereafter, realizing that I could be happy doing this stuff, right? Mm-hmm. And in the end, it helped make me a much better person. Um, turns out positive feedback loops fucking work, y'all. Um, simple self-denial does not make you as good a person as <laughs> getting rewarded for good behavior internally, right? Mm-hmm. So I really started working, cludging, and hacking together every single internal positive feedback loop I could towards behaving well towards others. Um, might not have had sympathy, but... <laughs> humans are adaptable and we have many many emotional like pieces of machinery lying around to be clutched together (laughs) um so i saw this and i was like this was that this was that moment for me i can't pretend not to see the real you wanting to see the real me and being open and vulnerable about it and that's a wonderful feeling to be reminded of but also part of it was rain has actually killed people and heather still wants to be close to her like that and I couldn't help but think, fuck, if I'd read this when I was in high school, first coming up mm. with this ideology, that would have fucking just torn my head apart for weeks. Reading something where it's like, you can kill people and still have someone love you and be emotionally close to you in this way. And having to fight that down and bludgeon it back into a, no, we are not going this path. Yeah. Like, Root. Because the issue is like, it's it's you're you're missing that context of like it's not it's not that she Mm. it yeah it's it's it is missing that context of like that violence comes from a protected place which is what is the thing that is linking heather to make that positive association but of course your brain doesn't necessarily fixate on that it's offering a drink to a sober alcoholic (laughs) yep even even if they turn it down it's gonna fuck up their day (laughs) um and so i i just i had such complicated feelings about that sentence just good and the bad and everything in between 
Yeah. Well, we'll get to my own moment here in a bit <laughs> on the subject, but yeah. Uh, continuous praise for Hungry for writing a work where the representation allows you to go on these fucking journeys. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. What do you got? Well, for that doesn't. That doesn't. <laughs> that that leads unfortunately well into the next um, uh-huh. sec in, in into the next um, bit that I had. Yeah. <laughs> Um, this, there's this quote, um, here, let me find it. Um, okay. That, that definitely does sound like legitimate self-defense. I nodded. I felt my heart go out to her, to that 14 year old rain alone on a dark street, mm-hmm. but sympathy smuggled danger through my better sensibilities. Rain liked me. I wanted her. Of course I was going to accept her, her justifications. It was self-defense though. Right. And so I wanted to like, at first that that first part um how would 14 year old rain have felt on that street corner after having to murder someone in self-defense man that's such a fucking complicated question <laughs> um yeah th- that was something i also called out here i was like shit like she was fucking young um and the thing is she does say what it felt like a bit she says it's fine didn't bother me and then later she says next day the corpse was in the news oops yeah and first of all that's definitely flattening stuff out right <laughs> in the retelling mm-hmm. um oh, for sure but i'm imagining being 14 years old in her position and being forced to kill in self-defense and uh, thinking about how i was back then i think i would have leaned into the absence of a reaction as mm. hard as possible yeah I think I would have found confidence and strength in being able to react less intensely to that than other people might. I think it would have become a source of pride as a young teen on the streets who had to defend themselves. Well, also, I think it would have somewhat, like, if if you were all trying to gain that sort of social functioning, then maybe you, like, I don't want to, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I imagine it could also become a fixture of like, oh, if I am not having an intense reaction when retelling this, that means that I am not like, mm-hmm. quote unquote, breaking my rule as badly as I otherwise could because I'm not leaning into the emotion that I felt. If I can deaden yeah. myself, yeah. then. That would be right for me. It doesn't seem to be quite as right for Rain, but we also don't know how she was processing this part of herself when she was 14, so. Again, um, I would love to see a rain interlude at some point. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, so, uh, part of it also just, I think this is a very interesting look into the fact that um, this is another part of the queer experience we don't often see. A um, lot of homeless folk are queer youth. Mm. That is... Yep. You would know this better than me. Um. There was a study recently talking about what percentage of homeless in the U.S. period are uh, underage queer youth. Was it like 25% or something? I would not be surprised. Yeah. Um, I have no idea what it might be in the U.K. Um, and take that stat with a grain of salt. I'm sure it's changed over the years, and I'm not 100% sure I'm remembering the right thing. But the percentage, queer youth make up a substantial percentage just of the homeless population, period. Um Based off of true colors, um, (laughs) it's worse. Wait, what? Forty percent of all home. 
homeless youth in the all homeless people period in the u.s are fuck and that's comparative to the makeup of queer people in the general youth population seven percent shit oh and then also you've got to imagine how many of those remaining 60 percent are queer youth who simply aged out of being a youth on the streets yep but yeah although to be fair those numbers are necessarily going to be skewed because a lot of homeless people are also veterans which means mm. that anybody not considered youth is going to be artificially like skewed by that um, demographic. So yeah, yeah. that gets more complicated. Um, but anyways, yeah, this is a part of the queer experience, which you typically don't fucking see in uh, queer romance fiction. <laughs> yeah. But it's there and it's brutal. And it also includes the prospect of sexual assault and also the prospect of legal uh, persecution for defending oneself and yeah Rain's been through a lot and it's it's unfortunately something which can be expected for a fair chunk of queer kids to go through yeah I don't mm-hmm. it's very difficult for me to speak to that experience mm-hmm. just because mine has been like I've spent so much of my life in in stealth basically um through lack of choice mm-hmm. that it's it's very difficult for me to say like oh you said in stealth in stealth yes okay um through lack of choice so it's yeah. it's very difficult for me to say on on that front i wouldn't even know well a lot of the queer kids who end up homeless um they don't decide to come out it gets revealed against their will yeah um but also, speaking of this thing, there's this line where Heather asks Rain, like, Rain, why did you run away from home? And Rain shrugged, parents. And like, oh, that is a fucking line. Because on the one hand, what else could it be? What other reasons are there that kids run away from home other than their mm-hmm. fucking parents, right? Yeah. I mean, I guess you might say a step-parent might qualify as different, but... But even that's parents. Yeah. <laughs> um, but um. Yeah, it's, and ultimately, like, even if somebody's running away for something other than their parents, it you could typically bring it back to you, and their parents weren't helping them deal with it. Yeah. Right? So, at, on one hand, it's the broadest possible answer you could ever give, a meaninglessly broad one. But it's also the only one that matters. Yeah, exactly. It and the other thing is, I love that we don't even know exactly what the issue was. Like, was it her being queer? Was it like Rain's early manifesting sociopathy and her parents being unable to deal with the realities that their Mm -hmm. child was going through? Was it some completely unrelated mystery third thing? Like, does it matter? Yeah. Uh, um, I was also just thinking about the whole thing, though, like about the age thing, like Rain was 14 when all this happened. Um, When Rain is further talking, she's like, the first kill was for me, but the other two were for Evie. Those were later on at part of the power struggle after her mother's death. I was just thinking, they would have been fucking high school age. They would have been 15, 16, 17, engaged in a power struggle after her mother's death and killing people about it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's, Rain has had a fucked up childhood, and it's kind of really impressive that she's doing as well as she is. Um, I mean, I would argue that she's only doing as well as she is precisely because of who and what she is. Yeah. Also actually makes me wonder if just if part of the reason 
Rain might be going for philosophy as a major might just be because she is like absolutely no offense meant to philosophy here. Um, philosophy has some degree of flexibility when it comes to um, foundational skills you need to get into it, right? Um, like obviously takes a lot of capacity for literary analysis and stuff like that, right? And that stuff is skills built over over years, right? But they tend to be mm -hmm. somewhat fuzzy and fluid skills, right? <laughs> but if you want to be an engineer, nah, nah, you need to know this specific set of skills and you need to have them down solid. And there's zero if, ands, or buts about that, right? It wouldn't surprise me if Rain's history simply means she's lacking a lot of the formal schooling necessary to take uh, a fair chunk of options that college has to offer that's definitely fair i mean we've said before that um the fact that rain is even going to college at all is really quite remarkable considering the amount of schooling she'd need to put herself through yeah. but like there's only so much you can reasonably do yeah um anything else um next thing um, i was going to talk about was castles do you have anything before then <laughs> i had the bit about the map shoot um okay so this is where, um, for context, Rain is, is, or rather, Heather is looking at this map, which is basically covered in pins from all the places that Heather, f f that Rain has lived in or visited. Mm -hmm. And Heather is basically thinking about, well, what hers would look like. And Rain says, mm -hmm. go on, pick a color if you have to. We can fill in the rest of the map just as much as you like. Got a whole lifetime to do it in. My skeptical frown carried little conviction. This is one of the sweetest things anybody had ever said to me. For years, I'd not really expected to reach 30, let alone plan a future. And so, like, you know this song and dance already. We might, I'm not even mm -hmm. entirely sure we haven't covered it already in this podcast. Um, but this is where I point out that depression and memory do not go well together. Yeah. Oh, we've talked about it. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's just, I I sympathize that with that enormously. And it's not even like a we can plan our lives in goals in stages in 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 terms of the things we want to do and the reasons why we want to do them and the time frames that we might have for being able to act on them but yeah. that doesn't translate to this is what i want my life to look like in 10 years yeah because it's in a lot of ways we just don't have that luxury um mm -hmm. so like when when heather says like i just had never planned to get that far yeah, yeah. It, it's yeah. it's not like a oh i thought i would be dead by then because that implies a certain a, a certainty in the mm -hmm. future that just isn't there um yeah. but more just like a oh yeah i just didn't assume i would get that far yeah it, like i'll find out when i get there i guess yeah it's um, a quiet thing but yeah which makes i think all the sweeter when she gets to talk with rain in a bit about all of the castles she wants to visit <laughs> mm -hmm. um and she goes on and on about them and she talks about the styles and and there's this beautiful line where just it says a twinkle had entered rain's eye a subtle smile on her lips go on she said this is the kind of heather lore i crave <laughs> and just i love that these things are the heather lore yeah, these are things with the premise of a good relationship. 
mm -hmm. being able to just ramble about what you love to your partner for like an hour on end. I, I actually had a moment of that picked out as well. Um, the yeah. like later on every now and then rain reached over and squeezed my thigh or rubbed my knee. And I did my best to concentrate on what I was saying somewhere along the way. She made the fatal mistake of getting me started on architecture. And I was just like, you want to talk about queer lit? This right here is the single most unifying lesbian moment of the entire novel. Bonding <laughs> with your partner over the nerdiest bullshit in the world. Uh, to be fair, some lesbians are shocks. And you mean to tell me that they are not utter and complete nerds when talking about their jock shit with their partners? No, I was intentionally setting you up for that. <laughs> Anyways. Uh... Um, yeah, it's just very sweet. Um, it's beautiful to get Heather to, to see Heather thinking about the future and the stuff she wants to visit and talking about it with Rain. Um, especially because it implies a future after going after Maisie and trying to get Maisie yeah. back too, which I think is very helpful. Um, and I think also it would be very easy to tunnel vision in on trying to rescue Maisie. Mm -hmm. Um, hell, just a lot of fantasy stories in general. Hell, just coming of age journey. Lots of stories, period, do this stuff where you just tunnel vision in on a problem, right? And then you reach the end. It's like, oh, now we decide the rest of our lives, right? Mm -hmm. It's really interesting how Heather's relationship with Rain right here at the beginning is defined around not doing that. It does make me wonder, like, this is a much, much broader subject, but like, <sighs> what does heather's life look like after all this that's a really complicated question i mean like assuming that everybody makes it out okay which is a hell of an assumption by the way yeah. um like assuming that you know everyone's alive and happy like what does she just finish university mm -hmm. and go off to work a nine to five like it just seems like she's so irrevocable even by this point which is mm -hmm. so, so early on into the person that Heather is developing into. She's been so irrevocably changed and marked as different from her peers. I kind of don't know how she starts to reintegrate with them again. Yeah. Something to keep in mind uh, once we start reaching the end of the story, wherever that might be. <laughs> um, let's see. What else? What else? Um... Oh, there was a comment where uh, Heather says, what I'd seen of Evelyn's track record with magic was unfortunately terrible. And I'm like, yeah, that's fair. <laughs> that, that's very fair. <laughs> yeah. Evelyn has kind of fucked up repeatedly so far. Yeah. Yeah. Anything else, by the way, in this general area or moving on? Or... Um, no, the next note that I just had was um, when they start talking about dreams and Lazi. Uh, uh, I got a couple things. Actually, I got quite a bit before them then. Um, I think, um, or actually I might've just skipped commenting on that. So I don't know where that is. Um, anyways, uh, there was one point where, um, uh, Heather was saying like, uh, I had sudden visions of disappointed professors that like she'd missed class. Right. Uh -huh. I was like, first of all, this is how, you know, she's a freshman. Yeah. <laughs> she thinks the professors care if she misses a class. Um, but also then later, um, uh, I also had a comment on that moment. Shoot. Yeah, shoot. Just, I do not think we have met a single one of Heather's professors ever. Oh, yeah, no, we haven't. 
they're they're not story characters. Um, and I also, want to make a sassy comment, but I won't. <laughs> shoot. Of course, they're not important characters. They're men. Hey, we don't know that her uh, prof- uh, professors are men. That's you. Pro- that's we, you projecting we, onto the no, story. We, because I know we see at least one of them. We see it. We see a couple of them, and they have male pronouns. They're li- like in this chapter. You're just projecting onto all of her professors. Listen. <laughs> this is the patriarchy at work. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> uh, I will not be slandered in my own home. You're not in your own home. You're in Cadence's home. And? Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> um. Anyways, uh, the last thing I wanted to mention was later in the chapter, she says, like, I made my apologies to board professors for missing classes. They didn't care. The university knew my medical record. And I was like, Heather, Heather, leave the last sentence off. I guarantee you, <laughs> if you're a lit student in your freshman year. There's no way your class sizes are like under like 50 each, right? Mm-hmm. Some of them might be hundreds of large lecture uh, classes, right? Yeah. None of your professors, if they were even told about your medical history at all, are fucking attached it to your face and none of them care if they have. <laughs> yeah, that's like um I I remember when this is a huge disconnect that I had when I was um first like presenting as female in London and I had to um like my my wrong names were on all of the birth not not the birth well yes that but more importantly the um none of the stuff had been corrected Mm-hmm. on um the attendance so i needed to tell all of my professors beforehand like hey so you're gonna have this name to call out i'd appreciate it if you call out this other name blah 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 mm-hmm. and like i all i expected it always to be like this moment of confrontation where i'd have to explain myself and blah 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 but all of them were just like okay thanks get to class yep oh yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> um it's it's and i wanted to also comment like in the last part she says like they knew my medical history and i'm like heather is seeing herself and how other people see her through the lens of her medical history entirely she just doesn't it's inconceivable to her that there's a whole bunch of people in this world who just don't give a fuck to be fair i could see <laughs> the professors being aware of her in terms of special needs because like if she was diagnosed as schizophrenic i could see them as as like the school informing them like hey this is a potential like i don't know what the proper term would be but like basically this person may need to leave class quite suddenly or risk having an outburst and you need to be ready for that yeah yeah but like also, I'm sure that would just be like another note in the same way that they'd put a note as like, oh, one of my students um, uses a wheelchair or mobility aid, so we need one less chair. Yeah. Yeah. Or just like, hey, one of your students has peanut allergy, don't bring peanuts in your lunch. Right? Yeah, exactly. Like, like they're yeah. aware of it, but mm-hmm. it's not the center of their anything. It's just like, yeah. oh, okay. Yeah. And I think, honestly, that's something that's really... um. <sighs> I don't want to say like learning to not give a fuck entirely is important as you grow up, because obviously there are plenty of cases in which people do very much do give a fuck about these traits about us. Right. Mm-hmm. But I think a really key part about growing up is just learning to find the right balance where you have a true perspective about how much people are noticing or giving a damn about what's going on in your world. <laughs> 
Heather's people pay far less attention to us than we'd like to think. Yeah, Heather's currently on one side of that thing where she thinks people are paying more attention to her than they are. Yeah, and granted, like people probably like Heather has had experiences in, in her life where people probably were paying her more attention mm-hmm. than statistically most people. Oh yeah, but that is in this case informing her experience. Yep. Um. Yeah. Uh, what did you want to talk about after that? Um, I had the bit where um, Rain was teasing her about having a sleepover. Okay. Um, Don't mind before? another night in my bed. Oh, oh, that was after she talked about the fact that like uh, it's abandoned property they're on, right? Yes. Mind if I get to that first? No, go for it. So first of all, Rain? Actually, no, that's before. That's before. Oh, oh yeah. go, 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 go. Okay. Um, don't mind another night in my bed, do you? Rain cracked a grin. That snapped me back to the present. Back to sharing a bedroom with the girl I'd been crushing heart on hard for weeks now. The girl I'd made out with two days ago. I opened my mouth, but no words came out. Rain raised her eyebrows. I swallowed and forced myself to take a nice, deep breath. Maybe serious magic nonsense could wait a day. So, mm-hmm. again, I like magic bullshit broken up with mundanity. Like, you were talking about from last mm-hmm. chapter has this, like, this is where the chapter mixes the mundane with the extraordinary. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like that even this far back, this is what keeps Heather grounded in the end. Hmm. Yeah. Oh my God. I have, I have a cat that is invading, invading my personal space. Kitty. <laughs> Kitty. Sorry. Sean. No. Oh my God. None oh of y'all no. can see what I'm seeing, but I am seeing the entire webcam occluded by cat. It's fantastic. Oh my god, sweet. You cannot sit there. <laughs> She's so fat. It's incredible. Like, four of her would be my weight, which, to be fair, I only weigh like 60 kilograms, but still. Kitty! Oh, man. I'm actually, I'm currently in the process of getting, like, um, uh, allergy shots to help get like my allergies which include cats down to a point where i can own pets and i am so excited i'm excited for you see or or Mm -hmm. you could just be like me get a cat anyways because you're not a coward Nah, see in my case the way my allergies work is they genuinely do ramp up over time like continuous exposure Mm -hmm. um i would genuinely end up being non-functional after like I, I'm fine with a cat for like a week or so, but if I had a cat for like three months, I would be non-functional by the end of it, uh, the way things oh, currently are. Poor baby. Yeah. Anyways. Don't worry. Uh, I'm, I'm talking to the cat, not you. <laughs> uh, anyways. Yeah. Cat interrupted stuff. We were talking about a sleepover, I think. <laughs> um, I genuinely don't remember. All right. <laughs> oh yeah, the the magic bullshit and um oh, yeah. Heather's connections to people keeping her grounded. Yeah. It's good. Um let's see what else. Oh yeah, so uh, after that, Rain reveals that it's a student squad she's living in, right? Um she and the other students are living on abandoned property. Uh they did the place up, put locks on the door. Um and one thing I wanted to notice, note is that we're told that Evelyn only kicked Rain out of her house like six months ago. And I just can't help but think about how this meshes with that. Wait, sorry, six months ago? Yeah. Like, we're, we're told, like, in her backstory, like, Rain was living with Evelyn until fairly recently when Evelyn started mm-hmm. to downspiral hard. 
and in the process kicked uh rain out of the house that means this whole situation with um living with a bunch of uh students on uh, oh shit actually this would have actually had to happen at like fuck kind of the end of last semester like the end of the spring semester or well, I'm not sure if they're using the semester system there, but like before summer break, right? Um, that's a weird fucking time to move in with new people, um, which essentially means, and actually technically what they're doing is like, it's not the same thing as being homeless, but I can't help but think that there must be parallels going through Rain's head when she got put in this situation. She got yeah. kicked out of Evelyn's house and she ended up finding an abandoned place to set up in with other students. Possibly, because I can't imagine that they were also just finding a place to live at the end of the spring semester. So Here's the other she thing, might have though. moved I in think, with them. I think that this time it was a deliberate choice because like, mm. on, like yes, Evelyn was kicked, or um, Evelyn kicked her out of her home. But like, if Rain, like Evelyn has money. If Rain came to her and said, like, hey, I know things are rough right now, but, like, I need money to live somewhere, I very much doubt she would have said no. She yeah. might have been, like, a pill about it, but I doubt that it would have, like, yeah. Yeah, well, I just, I can't, I just can't help but notice, like, the parallels there, though. Oh, but for sure. I'm not denying that. I'm just yeah. saying that I think this time it's Rain leaning into that. It's basically her saying that, like, on on some level mm-hmm. and maybe this is just me projecting a bit but like i think she might see a little bit of herself in these kids and be like well like mm-hmm. these kids don't really might not really know what they're doing and they might be in this for their first time but i've been around the block on this before so at least if they get themselves into some bullshit someone will know what they're doing mm, i can see that um, she's quite friendly with the neighbors as we see yeah you with her housemates yeah yeah actually one of them uh well you 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 talk about them i'm almost sure you pulled out notes about them right i did not oh well one of them is the gay couple which i believed you mentioned in your summary uh that like she's living with some very gay housemates yes yes um but i found also this one character very funny which was um a tiny redhead law student who talked about vegan cooking um and high-fived rain when i was introduced as a girlfriend and the fourth was the law student's very tall boyfriend who was studying environmental science. And like mm-hmm. that lawyer is definitely aiming to go into uh, environmental activist law. There's yes. no way there's anything else. Um, but also just those are the most interesting lawyers. Like the kind of lawyer who is willing to squat an abandoned property or does so out of necessity always make for the most interesting lawyers. And you would know because... A distant cousin works in uh, immigrant law. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Um, actually, God, I found out that when at a family reunion when I was young, I got one of those really, really big humor books and I was trying out every single joke on every single person at the family oh, reunion. Oh, no. Look, I had to figure out how humor works once some way, so I did it by brute forcing all of it. <laughs> Please don't tell me that there's some racist bullshit. Oh, I'm sure there was. Um, unfortunately, my family was the kind who would call me on it. Um, but uh, the one I actually remember was uh, telling a lawyer joke about uh, specifically um, uh, 99% of lawyers give the other 1% a bad name. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I did it to her face without knowing she was a lawyer. <laughs> And everybody else uh, around me, like, 
winced and like like did like intake of breath and turned towards her and then she just collapsed laughing <laughs> just like it's true it's so true oh, no. <laughs> um yeah um but yeah you meet the most fascinating lawyers uh on the periphery of law the ones who are basically like no i'm not here to be part of the institution i am here because to like the institution exists and interacting with it is the only mechanism for like it is it is necessary right <laughs> but i'm not here to agree with it mm-hmm. yeah um anything else uh um not from that section no i was gonna let you lead on the yeah yeah um yeah so anyways i will take point on the upcoming uh intimacy section just because i know this stuff can be difficult for you so there it goes rehashing for the audience stuff we discussed before the episode (laughs) um so there's a part where like rain like sits up and she says like directly to heather Heather, I am inviting you to cuddle in bed. Nothing more. And just cuddling is an important part of the process. It's very good for developing intimacy. It's also like, I think it's important to recognize that it's not even important just as like part of the process. Like it's also just important in and of itself. I think too often like people, and I'm not saying Mm -hmm. you're doing this. I'm more saying like, I see this a Mm -hmm. lot in especially fanfic communities, but also just Mm -hmm. in romance stuff where like people see cuddling as a bridge to something else. When so often it's just like it 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 is the end goal. That is what you are doing. And that shouldn't be like, oh, they only, you know. God, I love it when you steal words out of my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> um no, but really the next thing I was gonna bring up was where Heather said, I don't know, isn't there supposed to be some step between kissing and and sharing a bed? And then Rain straight up says, We don't have to take each traditional step one by one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And oh, and I'd also like to point out, you can do these things out of sequence. Yeah. Um, like, I was quite literally sleeping with, in the, like, literal sense, mm-hmm. and um, cuddling with girls years before I kissed one. Yeah. yeah, this stuff happens all out of order. And, like, I think too much emphasis on what you think you're supposed to be doing can very easily lead to simply forgetting about doing what you want to do <laughs> and what mm-hmm. feels good for you yeah yeah um but then it's very interesting where like rain cracks a joke about like i mean if you want i could just like finger you to hell and back under the covers right now right Mm -hmm. and heather laughs it off but then pauses and i found it very interesting she ends up saying like maybe maybe do that thing you said right Mm -hmm. she doesn't say that after she relaxes. I don't think Heather ever actually fully winds down, but she does say it after Rain relaxes and is like on her way to sleep. Mm-hmm. I was wondering what you thought about that. I honestly was surprised that Heather said it at all because, yeah. like, I don't know. Heather is the type to so thoroughly intellectualize her own feelings before acting on them. I was really surprised that that, like, that action came up quite literally before she even thought about what she wanted or why yeah yeah it's there's very there's a very definite and deliberate narrative distance in what heather is asking for here we don't really see her own thought process we see 
her perception of rain and yeah i guess actually i do have a question about this and i will admit mm-hmm. this question is a little bit selfish because like as thomas knows but i'm saying for the sake of the audience um i am currently in the midst of writing a bit of a passion project that's like features a character who thoroughly intellectualizes her own self especially in regards to sexuality and intimacy and so i'm wondering like what do you think it says about heather here that she is that that what do you think i guess hungry is trying to say here by deliberately not showing us this part of um of of heather's thought process of only showing her showing us what what happens what she asks for i mean part of it might just be the fade to black um just the simple fact that the story is doing a fade to black on these sequences and uh, that goes smoother when there is some degree of narrative dis- uh, distance before it occurs when it's easing us out yeah yeah that we are being eased out of heather's perspective as this goes so we can't discount yeah. that um uh, it's there's a part where Heather says, I would have rolled my eyes in a- exasperation if we'd been facing one another. And then my throat almost closed up on the words. The thing you said you wouldn't do unless I specifically asked for it. And there's just so much dissonance there. There's, like, if Heather had been facing rain, she would have rolled her eyes at her. That implies a fair degree of looseness and almost casualness about it, right? <laughs> exasperation mm-hmm. is a very specific emotion, which is hard to maintain under, like, nervous stress but then it's also my throat almost closed up on the words yeah i'm honestly not sure what i can say about heather said space for this other than that it is complicated and conflicted yeah i think i'm not really able to comment i do i do have thoughts on hungry's choice to fade to black and catalepsis generally but I don't think that I disagree with the choice here or have anything really substantively to add um because like as much as um as as much as catalepsis talks about heather's sexuality and intimacy as it relates to who she is in future places we're really only getting the beginnings of that here so i don't think we're necessarily losing much in in this losing much is the wrong way but of way of describing it but i i don't think there is much you could argue that is like plot relevant that oh, yeah. that we are not seeing yeah that's very true um yeah also to be honest hungry does an amazing job with just like the last sentence where ranger says you sure she purred like just does an amazing job of setting up like mm-hmm. it's so easy to like how to put it picture the tone of like like what the encounter must have been like right like you lose nothing in terms of like you know exactly how rain oh wanted to treat heather (laughs) and yeah that's just that that's very sweet Mm -hmm. um but yeah then there's that sudden cut to the dream sequence again where lozzy's talking graphically about a bear exploding Uh uh-huh yeah i was gonna say um what's it called the Oh shoot! There was one bit that we missed. Um, mm-hmm. The here it was. Um, this was shortly before that scene. I'd only showered a few hours ago. I felt clean enough, though very through 
uh, though very groggy and slow, the ache in my chest still sending its slow throb through my diaphragm with every breath. Ah, of course. Mm. Alien organ mention. <laughs> Sorry, I just, I at this point, I'm just <laughs> counting evidence. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's the kind of thing where, like, we read the entire story and we never really noticed that, but now that we're, like, really peeling out all the details, that feels like foreshadowing. <laughs> yeah. Um... um so you you pointed out the subject change and yeah that's it's pretty blatant like so then the bear exploded it just keeled over and boom blood and guts everywhere all up the walls on the ceiling the silly little benches the podium thing everything isn't that amazing and i just wrote well that's a subject change yeah it's also interesting it's um particularly gory to be honest um because this is a minor spoiler for something we learn about Lozzie's character later. Lozzie doesn't like violence, right? Or gore, specifically? Like, doesn't that bother her? I genuinely don't remember. It hasn't come up all that often in front of her. I wouldn't huh. be surprised, but yeah, I don't think I could tell you offhand if I remember that. Alright, um, I was just wondering. Yeah, It's funny, you know, I remember reading this, like, immediately after that scene, the first time, I literally blinked because I thought I had, like, my eyes had skipped a line. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, it's a very good introduction to the dream thing. And it does appear that, like, Heather is having conversations with the Lazi in which she appears to have some continuity of consciousness. And then she, quote-unquote, wakes up in the dream, at which point she loses all memory of the fact that of the prior discussion, but remembers the fact that she has had these dreams before and has forgotten them, like she remembers the post quote waking up part of other dreams and knows enough that she won't remember that while she's awake and tells that to Lozzie. It's nested recursion of forgetfulness. And Lozzie seems surprised by it. Uh, there's this, um, I wanted to read out this whole long passage about where they are in the dream. Uh, it's beautiful. Yeah. We sat atop the battlements of a truly Titanic castle snow-capped mountains to awe any romantic reared up on either side of us the castle itself wedged into the valley between walls marching away in giant stone blocks to meet the mountainsides towers rode in, rose in solid square vaults to our rear stone and painted wood wind whipped by the freezing air and linked by covered walkways distant figures passed here and there some armored in strange uniforms i heard the crack of leather wings distant and heavy the bellow of creatures that might live in a place like this. Snow whirled in the valley beyond, coating a landscape hundreds of feet below. Lazi and I sheltered under a stonework overhang held up by pillars, sat up on chairs, and bundled up in comfy layers and huge fur hoods. Between us lay a small but merry fire burning in a grate next to a pitcher of dark liquid and two glasses. Tears welled in my eyes. It was the most beautiful place I had ever seen. Is this a real place? I whispered. Yeah, of course it is. Lazi smiled up at me in the afterglow of her laughter. What did you think it was? Mm. And I just like, first of all, that entire description is just Mwah! chef's kiss. Mm -hmm. But I also wanted to point out that like things with Lazi are almost like by definition difficult to interpret as we've covered before. But a part of me wonders, like, it, I love the ambiguity here that like, in all likelihood, this probably is at least superficially similar to somewhere outside that they could get to right this feels like a romantic picnic to the ultimate castle like, yeah that's straight up what this that's straight mm -hmm. up what i read this as the first time i was like 
because especially with the scene change from romantic cuddling with rain followed by sex to this i totally interpreted that as a parallel romantic getaway uh in the dream but the the interesting thing that i found is that like if we're taking this from Lazi's perspective, I think that there's a good chance that to her, it's real because they're seeing it. Hmm. Oh, that. Well, speaking of which, um, uh, when Heather asks, like, isn't this a dream? Lazi says, like, duh, but it's got to be a real place, right? Bello, what's it? I forget what it's called. Um, is Bello something? Like, is that a name of real world castle? Or is there some word ascribed to dreams that I'm missing? Or... Yeah, I don't. Belogradic, maybe. Oh, Possibly. you're googling, aren't you? Shush. <laughs> it doesn't look like it, though. At least yeah. from what I'm seeing. Yeah. Um. But yeah, it takes into this interesting thing where, she, like, Heather's like, "How the fuck did you know I like castles? Were you like spying on us?" And she says, "No, you told me. You told me about about it. We were having so much fun. Don't get moody now." And it's like. There is another Heather who was... I was going to say, yeah. again, I don't think this is Heather. I, th- I think it is. It's definitely... Because it, it, she was talking about castles. It's got to be Heather. I just... I Well, I guess that brings up the other point. Is It's like, mm. it might have been Heather. It probably was. But mm. if this Heather can't remember talking about it and hasn't experienced that, then is it her? Oh, well, we're not even going to get into the complexities of, like, parallel experiences with... (laughs) Look, I am deeply convinced that once you start talking about stuff like what are the philosophical implications of, um, like, clones of the same person with different, like, lines of experience... Are we getting into the transmat question? Transmat? Oh, the Star Trek Star Trek. Yeah, that, but also stuff like if you wipe somebody's memory does what occurred to them during that time mean anything, right? Or mm-hmm. stuff like that, right? Um, I'm truly convinced that you cannot have a serious philosophical debate about that without having a really deep understanding of um, quantum mechanics. And not because quantum mechanics... neurology, to be well, fair. No, 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 no. Not because quantum mechanics is related to it in any way. It's not. Like... You don't need to understand quantum mechanics to understand the concept of somebody having their memory rolled back or um, the idea of like, is this the same you or something like that, right? But quantum mechanics deals really intimately with the discussion of particles with diverging memory, like things they have experienced in the world and how things interact with one another on the boundary between identical and opposite right um once i had fully understood that once i had done experiments gotten a physical intuition for how this stuff works developed it to the point where it was just part of my brain not weird abstract math but just part of the world for me i could interpret these philosophical problems in a completely different way um ways i don't feel i can describe well without having to piggyback on trying to explain all that experience to someone but it's one of those things where i'm just like i don't think the classical world we typically experience has a good framework for discussing this stuff you need to develop a different physical intuition before you really talk about it 
can see that. Yeah. The bit, the, the reason why I mentioned neurology is actually kind of superficially mm -hmm. similar, if only because I was going to use it to basically say that, like, even if your memory of these things goes away, the reward pathways and incentive structures your brain uses to, mm. to change and modify your behavior. Uh, well, at that, at that point, you're talking stuff like, I would, I would put that in the same category as trying to deconstruct the trolley problem and see if like because at that point you're talking about well are you are you really talking about wiping somebody's memory or are you talking about what the closest physical approximation of that would be that we know could exist in the real world or mm -hmm. uh, yeah Anyways, i guess I, I was just i was just dealing with the basic like it like how do you how do you like there are tons of examples in the real world where you can do something and then not rem remember it yeah. even like outside of extraordinary circumstances. Like um, when I first went to my college, I had this like apparently super long conversation and introduced myself to this um, girl who I came to know later, Sebeksha Subs. Mm -hmm. And um, to this day, I do not remember that at all. Mm -hmm. Like she teases about it mm -hmm. about me about it endlessly. And like, I'm like, how do I rectify the cognitive dissonance Mm -hmm. of having known that I did this, but have no memory of experiencing it. Yeah. And I guess that's more what I was talking about of like being oh, able to yeah. recognize that our, our perspective is, is flawed and fallible. Yeah. Well, yeah, I guess that kind of comes back to it, which is like, this stuff happens to us all the fucking time. Is it really that different that it's happening with Lawsy in a dream? Yeah. Um, I still say that other Heather was not Heather though. There, there's some extraneous stuff there. But this time <laughs> yeah. I will give you the point. Okay. Uh, did you have anything else for this section? Let's see. Um, so I like this. Um, there's this section right at the end of this mm -hmm. dream sequence. Um, Lazzie stood up to almost bouncing to her feet, face worried and panicky. Heather, Heather, don't go again. We're having so much fun. Please. I screwed my eyes shut, held them hard, clamped down and test tense every muscle and grit my teeth and woke up. So like the way this is worded, it's almost like a confrontation, like mm. by Heather latching onto her old life, but to the fact that this is a dream that she's leaving Lozzie behind, like, don't go again. We were having so much fun. Oh, and the... yeah, like, go on. no, it's just. <sighs> so the thing is, there's also a part though, where um, before that Heather's saying like, of course, dreams aren't real. You're schizophrenic, Heather, you, and that's the part where she's like, trying to like perceive it as a dream and like the confrontation is her not mm -hmm. believing it's real but then the next part is i slammed to a halt i wasn't crazy not anymore i blinked and swallowed and reminded myself of that hard as i could reminded myself of the last few weeks of my life of rain and evelyn and Maisie and magic and demons i don't think she's rejecting lazy as a dream i think she started to do that and then remembered the shit with the eye wasn't just a dream it's lessons yeah, I, in my head were not just dreams. It was a real I, thing, and it was really fucking me up. And this is not a dream either, and I need to get the fuck out. I don't think that it's that simple. But I think mm -hmm. it's more that, like, by leaving... From, I'm not analyzing this through yeah. Heather's perspective at all. I'm analyzing it through Lossie's. Oh. That for her, this is Heather leaving her. Well, and that this is the first time we see, like... Because, like, we don't know shit about Lossie right now. Yeah. And this is the first time we see where, like, Lazi isn't just pulling her into these dreams to fuck with her. 
She wants something, even if it's literally just them spending time in the dream together. Yeah. Well, so far we've seen Lazi apparently spending at least like possibly two full days just on a trip with Heather in the outside in a dream. Um, and apparently several hours here, um, at least. Um, so Lazi appears to think she has this whole relationship with Heather where they're very cordial and happy and like one another. And mm-hmm. Heather has no clue of it. And it's very strange. I mean, that is Lazi. Um, yeah. I was going to say that, like, ultimately, um, it, it just it makes me wonder about what Lazi's goals would be, I guess. Like, I mean, we obviously know, but like without the benefit of, of that um, hindsight, like it just mm-hmm. it presents this very scary image for Heather. Also, yeah. like, well, I mean, am so- I the only one that finds it pretty notable? that Heather didn't use brain math to wake up. I think it's I questionable whether she did or not. I but I think it's I think it isn't because when she wakes oh. up um oh yeah she does just kind of darkness but not silence and not cold. I lay in Rain's arms on the edge of awareness listening to her breathing. Another bad dream. The details drifted away. That is not Heather waking up from using brain math. Uh, fair enough. Um yeah. It said earlier that the dream like blunted the reality of the transition when like Lazi slipped them. Yeah. And I don't know. It's just interesting. Like, is is what they're doing really slipping? Is it not? We don't know. This is the closest mm. we get, I think, in the entire novel to reading quote unquote a Lazi interlude. Yeah. Again, yeah. another perspective I'd love to see. Mm-hmm. I don't know how you'd write it with any amount of coherence or without spoiling the entire rest of the plot somehow. But yeah. um was from that, you want to talk about uh Heather in the morning after? <laughs> yeah. Um there's this really cute scene where they're just they're what's it called? Um she's just reflecting. Mm-hmm. Goofy smiles kept sneaking onto my face all morning as we woke up and ate breakfast and got dressed. I had sex last night with a girl. I felt like a dopey teenager. I wanted to do it again. So <laughs> yeah, like that last nothing line. to say here. I just like that Heather is allowed to have this moment as a treat um (laughs) and also just like a slight add-on to that um she is a dopey teenager that's exactly what she is yeah and that's allowed to me yeah um also there's an interesting part um where she asks rain like did that count as having sex (laughs) and rain yes Yes. Okay, go on. Okay, you were going to pull that out? Um, okay, well, I did have a moment before where I just, I wanted to go over a truly three, I think the the single best three sentences that Hungry has ever written. Okay. Um, I thought I was going to have actual heart palpitations. I screwed up my courage and did what I must. I had the most unaccountable, uncouth urge to honk her boobs. <laughs> and I just... Like that is the single like you if you could distill Heather into three sentences, that is her character. Of course, the uh, you know what true character growth would be? Honking your boobs. Yeah, not resisting the urge. <laughs> I guarantee Rain would laugh and encourage it. <laughs> I but yeah, I just <sighs> to honk her. God bless, hungry. Uh, 
Um, but yeah, that moment you're pointing to. Um, yeah. Did so, that count as having sex? Rain yeah. asked. Rain raised an amused, puzzled eyebrow at me. What else would it be? I yeah. I don't know. Well, so the thing is, I think I brought this up earlier when we were talking about some of the sex ed experiences I'd gotten in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Um, and specifically um, that we were talking about in our class about uh, what the fuck counts as like losing one's virginity or what counts as sex, right? Yeah. Um, and how introducing the concept of gay sex and that it is sex and it does count forced uh, heterosexual people in the class to reconsider their own definitions. Right. Um, like, oh, does oral count? Does giving someone a hand job count? That sort of thing. Exactly, right? But I think in that context, Heather here is really starting at like queer awareness level zero. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's just an interesting point to benchmark the rest of the story from. Like, this is where it starts and this is where Heather starts. So, so disconnected from the reality of the fact that she is queer and she can have sex with like other women that she can't it's not even solidified asking for permission to validate her own experience yeah it's not even solidified in her mind the fact that getting fingered by her girlfriend counts as sex that's novel to her and it's like to be fair like what queer sex ed could she possibly have had and she's had absolutely like she knows enough to know that she's a lesbian Mm -hmm. which is probably already than most in her position Anything yeah. more than that is already asking so much of her. Yeah. Relatively speaking. And also, like, sex between two women, especially, looks really different from case to case. Yeah. Yeah. Also, <sighs> I know I keep going to good writing bits, but I wanted to point out the sentence that comes that came immediately afterwards. Mm-hmm. Happy did not last the length of the road. Oh, God. I was going to mention it, except then i realized how long we'd gone on so i was gonna skip it but okay if we're gonna do it no, it's, just, it's just so like <sighs> from emotion to distance to transition to scene change it's flawless all the way through it's just yeah. it's so so good i wish my i wish the stuff that i wrote was like a quarter <laughs> of this yeah hungry so good at using like sentence structure to emphasize tone and tonal shifts here like one thing I like wrote about this specific sentence is I was like, you know, if Hungry had written like a nonsense sentence here, like one which just kind of flowed grammatically, but like that your eyes just kind of sped over, right? With mm-hmm. this cadence and structure after the uh, structure above it, I feel like I still would have gotten the jerk to a halt feeling of the scene just because mm-hmm. the sentence structure complements the idea so well. It's good. It's really good. Yeah. Um, yeah. What else did you have next? Um, I had a bit more evidence for pneumosomatic organs, but we can skip that. Um, <laughs> there was a bit of character growth that I wanted to point out when she talks to the spirits. Mm-hmm. Um, I sum- or yeah, I summoned every ounce of acting power I had, not much, tilted my head up tilted my chin up like Evelyn in her worst or best moments slid mm-hmm. one foot out widened my stance straightened my back attempted to channel Rain's confidence via sexual osmosis as imperious <laughs> as I could leave me alone I raised my voice tell your friends to do the same and I just like character growth it doesn't matter mm-hmm. that she's faking it it doesn't matter that she's channeling it from somewhere else she's still doing it yeah that matters 
I also wanted to say, um, this ties a really interesting way into like our like recurring question of like in what ways is this like eldritch horror literature, right? Because there's a part afterwards where Heather remarks on the appearance of the pneumosomatic fauna that's like leading the pack, right? Mm -hmm. Um, which Heather says she, I instantly thought of it as a she, despite the absence of visible breasts or hips, was slender and poised like a dancer, humanoid figure cast in pitchback flesh made from slick protoplasmic tar, bubbling and roiling, faintly luminous. A mass of thick tentacles rose from her back, waving in the air, tipped with pincers and stingers, sucking orifices and coiling fingers. She had no facial features except for huge black eyes, deep sea fish eyes. And first of all, it sounds vaguely similar to the messenger, different, but like put yeah. it in that, right? Um, but um, this description, like if this had been an opening description in one of the first couple chapters about something, Heather would have been desperately trying not to look at it, reacting in gibbering fear. Like yeah. you were mentioning character growth, right? But mm-hmm. It's not just character growth, it's a fundamental shift in narrative feel. This is no longer the alien and the unknown to drive one to literal madness and fuck up your entire life just trying to not see it. Mm-hmm. This is this has a very different impact in the context of this chapter because this is not Eldritch Horror anymore. The description is very much of that trapping, but... Mm-hmm. I would really assert that despite what it looks like on the surface, this description is not Eldritch Horror at all. It's something it's else. It's social commentary. It's what? Social commentary. Oh, how so? Because this is the this is like one of the first instances in which we are like we have we have seen it hinted that the the creatures from the outside are not as other as we'd like to imagine them or, being. Well, the pneumosomatic fauna. Yes. Not which is not the same as creatures from outside. Well, no, I was gonna say even with like the tick we're hinted at uh, that yeah. like oh like maybe there's something more here mm-hmm. and then i think we're told outright with either the the messenger or something else that basically that like these things have emotions that like they're scared by the fractal like that those that is emotions that we are assigning oh. them. that is human value and weight well the pneumosomatic fauna were fucking terrified of the messenger yeah yeah that was it and then mm. here is the first time where Heather is abscri- is ascribing gender. Yeah. Like these are all, he's slowly, piece by piece, humanizing these things that she was once terrified of. And as she does, they become less frightening. I would also incorporate a bit of trans narrative here, too. Um, because if... I mean, that creature is definitely trans, but go off. <laughs> I was going to say, if Lovecraft, for instance, were to gender one of his eldritch horrors, it would be for the purpose of further horror, to pervert the concept of gender and one's understanding. Like, if he was saying the thing had a gender despite not having any visible identifiers, it would be followed by a fucking two-page, like, barely coherent, definitely transphobic, like, screeching mess It had womanly curves, but it had a penis. Yeah, exactly. Or like um, like xenomorph, except not a critique of gender norms. Yeah. Um. But here, it feels almost like recognizing someone's pronouns. Like that's what it feels like in terms of sentence structure and narrative value. It feels like 
looking at somebody at like it feels like being at like a queer club like a queer college club meetup right where you've got a whole bunch of people who are like trying out stuff and haven't necessarily begun to transition yet like whether socially or in terms of hormones or whatnot right and you just everybody's wearing like a name tag with pronouns and you always make a point to like double check first right that's what the internal narration sounds like here it just it sounds like checking the creepy the tentacled protoplasmic tar like ladies pronouns and being like oh she not it Mm -hmm. that is a name yeah (laughs) and i think that's very it is you're absolutely right when you said it's a piece of social commentary not eldritch horror that's what i was looking for and thank you (laughs) you're welcome um speaking of um well i guess this is more queer commentary but i want Mm -hmm. after this scene there's a moment um where Basically, the um, Rain notices that this crowd of numismatic fauna is following her. They're back, aren't they? Rain murmured softly. You can tell, I sighed. I'm sorry. I wanted to relax with you. I felt so good this morning. Best in years. I'm sorry. <laughs> and so, like, yes, it's funny. I was, but also, I bet she felt good. <laughs> yeah, haha. But also, um, this is where I overshare regarding my asexuality and dysphoria. And Mm. basically that, like, I wanted to point out, this can be seen as a metaphor for a lot of things, but particularly difficulty around sexual romantic experience. How even a having a a positive and lasting encounter with a partner doesn't erase the things you deal with every day. That sometimes the simple things you take for granted are still hard and you don't know why. And you don't like it's it, it doesn't make sense why you can. Why, why you could do this thing earlier and now it's why it feels like you're backsliding and you can't mm. point at any one thing but you just know that it's more difficult and that like yeah sometimes things are just harder and you don't know why yeah. um and also point out that this very much crosses over into disability representation as well yeah yeah but it's also interesting how um when she like yells at the new the pneumosomatic fauna and like tells them off um oh god the cat's back and i'm so distracted i'm sorry (laughs) no the kitty the kitty can stay (sighs) hello kitty the kitty's staying um and uh kitty broke my brain uh yeah there's there's a funny part where um uh uh like while heather's yelling at the pneumosomatic fauna she also yells and I got laid last night, right? <laughs> I'm gonna get to that. Yes. Okay, shoot, shoot. You pull it out. You, you, you I, well, I was just gonna, I was just gonna read all of it, basically. Shoot. Um, yeah. First of all, there is this moment before that point. Uh-huh. Um, the tentacle woman reached out to me with one one of those tent sucker covered tentacles. Walk, walk faster! I hissed. We can run if you like. I shook my head, set my lips in a tight line. No, no more running. I refuse to run. It's hard to properly imagine how much courage Heather is showing in this moment by doing this. Mm-hmm. Um, and more importantly, like you said before, like Heather needs to have this stuff pointed out to her, especially mm-hmm. when it doesn't seem like she has a choice. Um, yeah. Isn't it telling that her in her internal narration, she refuses to comment on this moment? Yeah. But I also think it's very interesting that... Um... Rain is the one offering to take the easy way out, and Heather's the one refusing it here. Heather is 
consciously choosing to confront this. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that's always the... Although I guess you could also argue it the other way, though. Um, I could I could very much see a counter argument where you say, no, what Heather's here, actually doing here is a form of cowardice or being stuck in place. She's doing what she's always done, minimizing right, externally right. visible reaction to these things. And or really... also, like you, you could argue, like she's doing the thing that she thinks she's supposed to do without asking if she's actually ready for it. Yeah, so I guess it is both bravery and cowardice at the same time, which is interesting. It's almost as if we shouldn't use these binary mo- modes of analysis <laughs> to 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 interpret our our actions through. Oh, Sarah, don't you know the proper philosophy way to do it is you create a thesis and an antithesis, bravery and cowardice, and then you combine them together in synthesis. Look, the uh, <laughs> I. I really morally checked out of philosophy the moment that I learned that the correct answer to the trolley problem isn't to shoot the person who gave you the problem. <laughs> Actually, have we not talked about my... We have, no, extensively. No, 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 no. It, here, on the podcast. Have we not talked about... Oh, on about... the podcast? Probably not. Do we have shoot. time? Yeah, real quick. Um, by the way, everybody, here's what the solution to the trolley problem is. Um, the solution to the trolley problem is the fact that people get paralyzed by the trolley problem and what that tells us about human nature. Specifically... The good place did it right. Shush you. No, I'm not talking about the good place, actually. No, the point about the fucking trolley problem is that people look for third options. The point of it is, is that the human brain developed in an incredibly high information, high fog of war environment. We don't live in pared-down, simplistic, philosophical simulations. And simply put, intelligence is, by definition, like removing details and like hard facts and trying to do rigorous simulations to create fuzziness. Right? That's that's like what it does. Like any understanding of like how the neurology of the brain works or how like simulating like pattern analysis on computers works will tell you this very quickly intelligence is about making things fuzzy and tossing out like 90 percent of the data you get right um and that's what the human brain is designed to do we are designed to take incredibly complex situations where you might have to be deciding who lives and who dies right and you are supposed supposed to figure out the solution and in this case the question is what do you do when presented with two options both of which in which someone dies but one of them in which less people dies right what throughout human or like throughout all of hominid evolution is the solution we have converged to which is so built into humanity that most of us will react this way to the trolley problem the first time we encounter it the solution is to look for a third fucking answer. Mm-hmm. And if you take the trolley problem at its face and you assume that people are reacting to it, or that people are reacting to the trolley problem, you will fail to understand their responses to the trolley problem. Because they're not responding to the trolley problem. They're responding to what the human brain is designed to work with, which is the much, much messier parallel to the trolley problem <laughs> i was gonna say even even the usual like 
inherent question of the trolley problem is an <sighs> is just an expression of how people usually optimize these situations to begin with, which is that they want to hurt as few people as possible. Yeah. And so the the question is whether you're you're weighing the most amount of people being hurt or the most amount of hurt done to one person. Yeah. So like even to have an answer at all is to still engage with that premise. But anyways. Yeah. Um yeah. It's it's kind of like um if you point at people's reactions to the trolley problem and say that it says anything about human nature, it's kind of like taking it's kind of like taking like a bird which is highly evolved for detecting predators in like a very highly like forested jungle environment and putting them on an open plane and seeing how they react to like flat pictures of a predator. Odds are their behavior is not going to represent what they actually function like <laughs> yeah. because that's just not what their brains are designed to work with. <laughs> yeah. Um but if you take the if you take the premise which a lot of philosophy starts with that human cognition is this untainted engine of reason or that that's the ideal we should be going towards you're gonna miss this shit <laughs> kitty there's a kitty again kitty 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 you're petting the kitty okay we, we need to move on no <laughs> no no go back to the cat <laughs> yes Okay, uh, yeah, do we have anything else? I think we're, like, right at the end of the chapter, right? Can you still hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Okay. All right, the last section. Um, don't follow me, I said, my voice rising. Anyone who saw me could go file a complaint. Don't watch me. Don't haunt me. Leave me alone, or I shall begin to consider ways to hurt you. I paused, had to ignore the pounding of my heart. I don't know if I can teleport you outside, but I will find a way to try. I got laid. Go away. <laughs> yeah. Just all of that. Every line. Yeah. Um, it's also interesting that Heather's thinking like that line, anybody who saw me could uh, go file a complaint. God, that says so much about like the environment she must have been in between the mental hospital and schooling. Mm -hmm. When somebody yells at the empty fucking air, on the street corner gotta be honest you cross the street right <laughs> and then keep walking the typical reaction is not to like fucking contact somebody and like file a most people wouldn't even know who to fucking file a complaint to if there no, even is somebody to do of, so it's kind of funny i actually took that as her a little bit of her like not being so sheltered because it's a tacit admission that like doing so would serve no purpose and nothing would happen even though it's the way the system is quote-unquote supposed to work oh oh you're you're saying the sentence is framed in a different way not worrying that anybody who saw me could go file a complaint yeah, but saying, basically, fuck it's it, basically anyone... heather's way of anyone who saw me could go fuck themselves oh you know what shit you're probably right about that one <laughs> i mean i don't know i think we could go either way that's the interesting thing i had not considered that like that like mm -hmm. file a complaint probably is exactly what had happened to her for most of the time she had been alive oh shit yeah um but yeah and then it's interesting how um yeah like the tentacled woman doesn't leave she crosses the far side of the road and sits down and like says, yeah heather says if she'd been a human i'd have sworn she was sulking you're totally right that that this also i think is more social commentary stuff because 
the tentacled woman was like trying to talk to her. Like the big mouth on her chest was going like, I'm nom, 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 and trying to like say stuff, right? Listen, this... tentacled woman just wanted to flirt with a local lesbian who could see her, all right? <laughs> no, but you're right. This feels like a reaction to rejected attempts at communication rather than anything mm-hmm. you'd expect out of Eldritch Horror. Yeah. Yeah. Also, I needed to point out that Rain in the end, um, there's this this comment, good enough, I muttered, they're gone. Rain mm-hmm. smirked. You got laid, huh? That's your big, scary, anti-demon weapon? I was like, look, if it works. If it works. <laughs> uh, yeah. Anyways, that is 3.2. Yeah, that it is. But um, I, I'd like to point out that Thomas shortly before this episode started said, on the bright side, I think these next few chapters will go more quickly. It's not on record. You have nothing on me. You can't prove uh, shit. <laughs> whatever. Anyways, um, 3.3, presumably we might know more about Lazi. It has been maybe two years since I actually read this material, so we will find out together. Yeah, yeah. Also, just so y'all know, speaking of, like, um, episode publishing and whatnot, we are coming up on, like, the U.S. holiday winter season here, so mm-hmm. we may or may not get out all the episodes you would like over the coming weeks. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll see what we can do. Yeah. Um, but anyways, uh, as usual, the music is uh, from Celestial Experiments by Tyler River, and the icon art is by Noctilla at noctilla.art. Happy and safe travels to anyone who is currently or soon will be headed back to their family at this time yeah. of year. Please, for the love of God, wear your masks on the goddamn plane. Just and also, um, <laughs> please, what's the word? Um, mm-hmm. Do not start any arguments with your family that you cannot afford to go badly. Uh, please. True. Yeah. Also, wait, I'm stuck on the plane thing real quick. Y'all. <laughs> no, no, y'all. Before fucking COVID, everyone complained about getting sick during air travel. Fucking everyone. I did. You did. I know for a fucking fact you did. We all fucking complained about getting sick during air travel, right? We all fucking complained about it. And in retrospect, it's really kind of dumb that we could have just been wearing masks the whole time and like that it would have significantly cut down on transmission if we didn't. But this is... Now we are all culturally aware that masks cut down transmission of a lot of diseases, right? And it works. It fucking works. We have the data to back it up that if you wear your mask while traveling, it's not just COVID it can protect you from. You just get less sick, period. Planes are a super spreader event. Every year of so many diseases, not just COVID. Fucking wear the goddamn mask on the plane. (laughs) This is my soapbox and I will die on it. I mean, preferably I'll kill you on it, but I'll die on it if I have to. I was about to say, and with that, on that note, we wish you a pleasant night. (laughs) Good night, y'all. Happy holidays if you're celebrating. (laughs) We'll see you in your dreams. And failing that, I'm sure Lawsy will have something to say.